This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'm going to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What were some of the greatest investments this quarter? After a solid final day, Dow advanced 217 points, putting up its strongest quarterly performance since 1987. S&P climbed 1.54%, also its best quarter since, 80, since 1998. And Nasdaq gained 1.87% and looked fantastic. I'd say the most impressive stocks from my point of view now, okay, this is my own point of view, from the last few months, were the ones with a lot of ingenuity and a lot more good luck. Oh, we had tons of winners this quarter. Many of them were stocks that simply bounced back from the March meltdown thanks to the $2.2 trillion stimulus package and the Federal Reserve's corporate bond buying program and a resurgent oil price. A lot of them were oil stocks. These are, ah, these companies got lucky. A lot of these companies look like goners in March. And then the government intervened. Suddenly they were worth a lot more money. But it didn't take any ingenuity for Carnival Cruise or Royal Caribbean to rebound from their lows. They were saved by the Fed. No. I want to talk about the companies that have shown they can survive and now thrive during this pandemic and show no signs of abating at all, at least in the U.S. If anything, it's getting worse. Yeah, the pandemic's getting worse because millions of people refuse to take the virus seriously. They wouldn't wear the mask. They even objected to it, some of the guys on Capitol Hill today. Uh, They wouldn't adhere to social distancing guidelines. That's foolish. And now they've got huge breakouts all across the South and West. So let me give you my list of COVID winners that can keep dominating their industries even after the scourge is put to bed. And it will be. Now, first... Sometimes you got to go with the obvious Zoom video. Uh, there were many other outfits that could have become the leading video conferencing play. Cisco has WebEx for the enterprise. Ring Central rolled out their solution in partnership with Avaya. But it was Zoom that brought us together under the leadership of CEO Eric Yuan. When you think about it, Microsoft could have done this. Apple, Google, right? It's incredible to me that this newly public company has become so ingrained in the new, the new uh, work-from-home economy and also play-at-home economy. Zoom has fundamentally changed the way we interact, and our world will never be the same, even if we get a vaccine. Sure, if it wasn't them, it would have been somebody else, but it wasn't somebody else. It was Zoom. Second's PayPal. Oh, these guys were lucky enough to be the online merchant processor of choice for many companies going into the pandemic. And PayPal is now emerging as the de facto bank for small to medium-sized businesses around the world. They've taken the payments industry by storm. PayPal shows you really don't need brick-and-mortar banks. I never would have thought we'd go from cash to plastic to digital this quickly. But the pandemic threw more fuel on the fire, and that's where we are. CEO Dan Schulman has a vision. He wants to democratize money, and he's making that vision reality. Third is Apple. Now, this was still one more quarter where CEO Tim Cook's leadership dazzled, despite international tensions and the closure of most of the retail network. I know we weren't expecting much from the iPhone 11. I mean, another update. Who cares? But people love it, and they love the AirPods. 
the, the new watch is fantastic. Um, it, no, I'm not going to help you, Siri. Um, it, it, it's icing on the cake. The real core of the story is Apple's rapidly growing service revenue stream. What about the luck component? Well, in a year where we're not supposed to touch at each, each other, Cook's rolled out contactless credit cards. I think the App Store's worth billions. The fabulous customer satisfaction means that Apple likely owns its customers for life with the value that can now be subscribed to each and every one of them. And I'm going to keep pushing Apple to give me that number. I'll make more of your fortunes with that razor, razor blade business bottle. You know how I feel about this one? I say, own it. Don't trade it. Everybody else says trade it, don't own it. They're wrong. Fourth, out of nowhere, Tesla became a $200 billion company. How is that possible? Simple. Tesla's not a car company. It's a technology company. It happens to make autos. That was the wisdom of Elon Musk, and it's why Tesla's now approaching the valuation of Toyota, the largest automaker on Earth. I think it's a crummy comparison, though. Te- Tesla's not a Toyota. Musk cars sell everywhere, and they sell without advertising. They love it in China. They love it in Germany. They're really the only truly successful electronic vehicle company. Once it became clear that Musk could raise as much money as he needed to keep expanding, which was at 270, the stock was off to the races and it hasn't looked back since. Fifth, we know Amazon had a ridiculously good quarter, but I like the rise of Shopify. It's the alternate system for small to medium-sized businesses that want to operate online. At the beginning of the quarter, Shopify was an obscure e-commerce enabler. By the end, though, they were recognized as a pillar of digital infrastructure in a time when everybody needs to go digital. You see that FedEx number tonight? That's about digitization. I bet Shopify will create more millionaires than any other company in America, and they're Canadian. Six, we've got some others that empower small business. Twilio, I, I saw Jeff Lawson on today. Fastly, I know there's a lot of people crazy about that one. Adobe, Wix, all small operators, uh, uh, move, they all help small operators move things online and look like big operators. Same with Etsy. They're prevented a host of retailers from going under. Seven, speaking of retail, oh my God, is this Lululemon's moment or what? They capture the zeitgeist of what we wear when you're at home. That mirror acquisition gives them a piece of the home fitness space, lets them rival Peloton. Many hedge fund managers bet against these stocks, they failed. Remember, these winners are all about luck and ingenuity. Lulu was lucky to be in the right place at the right time, but they were also darn smart. Eighth, we got all sorts of powerful secular themes tied to the stay-at-home economy. That's everything from the data center to artificial intelligence to gaming. Only one company gives you all these end markets. NVIDIA. I love this one. CEO Jensen Wong's, he's out of this world. He's an engineer. He's a builder. He's a leader. He's an artist. This guy's a modern da Vinci. Jensen, man, I got to hand it to you. Ninth, you want luck and ingenuity? How about Netflix? This is another company that, like Amazon, was practically tailor-made for the pandemic. As we get more big screens, we get faster broadband. As every other form of entertainment shuts down, the world turns to Netflix. Now, this one's had a lot of doubters, thanks to all these competing streaming services. But now the company's in a place where it can raise prices with little resistance. No wonder such a juggernaut. Finally, and I really want to make this point, okay, we cannot forget Regeneron, which has proven itself as the drug company for the COVID era. They've got an amazing anti-cholesterol franchise, the best macular degeneration treatment out there, fantastic oncological portfolio. But most important, Regeneron's leading the way, although they don't promote it. I am the way in the fight against the pandemic. A lot of companies are coming out with different stuff. Focus on these guys. They got a key uh, part of a monoclonal antibody cocktail that should be able to defeat the scourge. And they'll be able to charge an arm and a leg for it, like we've seen from Gilead's COVID drug. I also think Regeneron's got the inside track when it comes to making vaccine, given their work on Ebola. You should know that Len Schleifer and George Yankopoulos, the CEO and the chief scientist, are unheralded geniuses. Len was our first guest on Mad Money. Stock was at five. It's now 623. Bottom line, there are a ton of other winners I could have cited, but these are the companies that grabbed the moment by the horns and rode the bull to greatness. 
And with COVID spreading like wildfire, sadly, I bet these keep climbing. Or I wouldn't have picked them. Steve in Maryland. Steve. Jim, thank you for taking my call again. I'm a 24-year-old who called last week about Roth. I asked him to share some of my portfolio. Thank you for that. I want to keep investing into smart and strong stocks. This stock I'm calling about has been going up and down every week. My concern is that their cancellations keep piling up on their 737 max planes. I already have one share when the market crashed. Should I keep adding more or invest somewhere else? I'm calling today about Boeing. BA, yeah, I mean, I, I thought Philip Bo pretty much said, look, you, know, you, you, you couldn't count on that one. Uh, on that Norwegian Air one anyway. I think Boeing buy at this level is a very good buy for the next 18 months, but not for the next 18 days. A lot of people need something for the next 18 minutes. It's definitively not right for that. Betsy in California. Betsy. Hey, Jimmy. Yo, Betsy. Um, First first of all, I wanted to thank you for teaching me how to fish. (laughs) Because, boy, if you just handed me a fish, I never would have learned to do the homework, Jim. That's the goal. That's the goal. God bless you. Thank you. Let me tell you, let me tell you about this company that I found. I took to heart what you said about sustainable energy, okay? Unfortunately, most of the companies I found didn't make any money, which was no good for me, okay? Now, I did find one. It's a billion dollars a year, which is small, okay? And it's true, they're only up 58.74% for this year. But then again, we're only in half a year, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, their total return, just so you know, is um, 85.4 for one year, three years, 266.1, wow. five years, 247.7. But that isn't the best part. The best part is that the stuff you taught me pays off because they have only a 1.1 peg. Really? The, yep. The P.E. is 28.18, but the growth rate is 25. Well, this is what I'm looking for. What is it? This is great. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let me just say one more thing real quick, okay? It's going to please the R's and the G's, okay? They just got the Environment Energy Leader Award for the top project for the marine base in Paris Island that they had designed last year, the top award. Now they're in Oregon, a D state. And they're converting all of the um, light, thick, light, you know, street right. lamps to um, energy sustainable photovoltaic. Interesting idea, but let's hear yeah. what it is. And, and the name of the company is Amoresco. Huh, Betsy, I don't know it. I think Betsy gave me plenty of reason. Betsy just did a segment. That was a great segment, Betsy. Let's take some questions. Uh, no, i got to look into Amoresco. You know, look, you always want to know every stock. It's a billion-dollar stock. I liked everything she said. And I am going to be able to do something on that because that is the kind of stock that we're looking for. Uh, wow. And when she said pay rate, by the way, what she's saying is that the valuation versus the growth rate is very inexpensive. And she's right about that. Oh, look, I learn from our viewers every single night. I just learned a ton from Betsy about a company that's doing some good things in Oregon, by the way, which I want to learn more about. All right, now, we had many, many winners this quarter. But most of them were just bounce-back candidates. These are the companies that grabbed this moment by the horns. Well, man, money tonight. With more people eating at home, could ConAgra's rise continue? I'm just going to sit down with the CEO after earnings. He's top brass. Then, as the COVID crisis continues, don't expect to return to business as usual. I'll explain why. And I'm ta- ta- talking about the explosion of cell towers from the CEO of one of my favorites, Crown Castle. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. With COVID cases spiking, what worked the last time the virus got out of control? There are a ton of stocks that roared higher in April, then spent the last two months kind of marking time as Wall Street fell in love with the recovery place. Take ConAgra Brands. That's the packaged food powerhouse, CAG. This stock gave you some huge gains in April as part of the stockpiling trade, pantry stuffing. But then investors started to assume that it was all one-off, gravitated away from the supermarket. Big mistake! which is why I've been recommending this stock all along. This morning, ConAgra reported quarterly results, and the numbers were spectacular. We're talking about a $0.09 earnings beat off a $0.66 basis, much higher than expected organic sales with 21.5%. That's extraordinary. Uh, even better, business remains strong through June. Management issued better than expected guidance for the next quarter, although I still think it's conservative. We've got to find out. In other words, the COVID bump was not a one-off. Makes sense. The restaurants are at half capacity. And that business is going to companies like ConAgra. No wonder the stock rallied more than 4% today. Can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Sean Conley, the president and CEO of ConAgra Brands. Get a better sense of the quarter, his company's prospects, hitting its 52-week high today. Mr. Conley, welcome back to Mint Money. Hey, Jim. Good to be with you. All right, so Sean, I'm... I joke about a certain brand. I'm not going to joke about it anymore. Chef Boyardee up 62%. How is that possible? You know, Jim, a lot of our, our brands are up big time this quarter, but Chef Boyardee is a, is a great staple and it's great value. And when people went into shelter in place, uh, they needed great value in quantity and Chef Boyardee was there for them. And you saw the results plus 62% of the quarter. Pretty remarkable. Well, but that is a bit of a metaphor of what happened this quarter, which is why I picked it, because I could have picked I could have picked a uh, Hunts, which is my favorite. For what I used was thickener for my tomato sauce or uh, or armor, uh, Vlasic. And then here's one. Duncan Hines, you and I have said, why, why, why? Well, now I see why. That's an incredible number. It is. And one of the really interesting things this quarter, Jim, is people started consuming more at home. They rediscovered things that they forgot they used to love, cooking, uh, being together with their family, eating together, and things like baking together, which is where Duncan Hines came in. And Duncan Hines had a blockbuster quarter. All right. So one of my colleagues, uh, Dylan Reback, said to me, you know, he, he watches, he's on TikTok. Candidly, Sean, I'm not as on TikTok as I must be. And he's saying when people stuck at home and exploring the pantry more, there have been a rise of amateur chefs on platforms like TikTok who use cake mix to make cookies. So you are in some sort of millennial sweet spot, as I can tell from your from and Gen X, from the users that you gave in your deck. 
Yeah, you saw the data. It's pretty remarkable. Most of our, our new users that we gained in this COVID lockdown are, are millennials, uh, number one, followed by Gen X. So it's younger users. And, you know, they love convenience. And Duncan Hines is a great example of a product that's super tasty, but it's super convenient. And it worked for them while they were sheltering in place. Well, sadly, they like convenience. But, Sean, they're also struggling for jobs. When you're looking for a job, a lot of your brands do hit the sweet spot. Well, that's true. And I would say what one of the things that consumers are rediscovering is the superior value proposition of eating and preparing foods at home. You know, we've become conditioned over the last 10 years or so to eat out. Uh, no offense to your restaurant, Jim, but now consumers are strained financially and they're recognizing that not only is it a great price point that they can get eating at home, but the food quality is far superior to what they recall and they're buying more of it. Well, let me tell you about the restaurant versus you. I genuinely do believe that there is a big change. I think that there's a frugal nature of what's after this and that people really would like to cook at home rather than go out in part because they can buy beer and take it home. They can watch their big screen TVs and they can eat some very good food that, uh, frankly, uh, uh, Marie Callender, a banquet, the healthy choice. These are all things that uh, younger people uh, respect, like. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, it's really remarkable because they are recognizing it's a great value proposition, but it is convenient. And the truth is there's been concern around safety. And that's one of the things that's kept them at home. And the other piece is the financial strain. Both of those conspired to really help a lot of the packaged food companies and our company in particular uh, had a good quarter. And we hope it persists. You know, I didn't necessarily when I first uh, talked with you believe in the frozen food concept, but you do point out in your conference call, just try to find a freezer at uh, Best Buy or Home Depot. I mean, when you get a freezer, you put ConAgra products in it. You do, Jim. And I've been preaching for at least five years now that frozen food is the perfect food form for today's consumers. If you can dream it, we can freeze it. Uh, does, the, the consumers used to think of frozen food as a low-quality food, right. but we are producing superior restaurant-quality food now that is super easy to prepare, and it's super fast to make, and it's a great value. And consumers discovered that in this COVID lockdown, and they realized they didn't have enough freezer space. So what did they do? They went to Best Buy, or they went to Home Depot, right. or they dialed up Amazon, and they ordered a freezer. All right, so, Sean, you addressed on uh, June, 7, uh, June 17, you addressed the Mrs. Butterworth bottle and a, in a brand review. Uh, it's intended to evoke the image of a loving grandmother, but you stand in solidarity with your uh, black and brown communities. Now, this is the type of thing uh, uh, that I know I respect. You're out front. It wasn't like someone said, you know what Sean is doing? He's a bad guy. But what will the review look like? Because, frankly, I, I like the stuff and I, t- I grab the bottle. I mean, it's kind of like I, I could grab Long Cab and I grab this. It's iconic, but I but it's iconic, but it's wrong. Well, to some degree, Jim, perception is reality. You know, Mrs. Butterworth was really architected to resemble a loving grandmother. But we can understand how some people may view it differently, may find it offensive. So we're really in the listening mode right now. We want to understand what a diverse range of our consumers and our employees think, and we want to do what's right. It's really part of a bigger initiative, Jim, to really coming out of all the horrific things you've seen in society over the last couple months, the the horrific violence, the racial injustice, We and other companies have to up our game when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And that starts with listening and it starts with being more aware and more sensitive. And that's really what this Mrs. Butterworth review is all about. How do you keep it so it doesn't 
so it doesn't go back to the way it was, Shoina. I've known you for a long time, and I know you're a guy I look, for, I, I look toward be able to say it's not one off, that it's not something that uh, happened and then we're on to the next. Well, that is the key right now, Jim. I see a groundswell of energy to not lose momentum against this cause. You know, one of the things that we value as a company is results. We are really not big on pontificating, on, on uh, suggesting we're going to do all these things. We want to focus on what is the plan and we want to deliver results because the proof will ultimately be in the pudding. And it, there's a real uh, unanimity that we cannot lose momentum on this cause. We cannot let this slip through the cracks. We have to rally as a team. We have to come together and we have to get it done. And if you look at our track record, when we put our mind to something and we say we're going to make progress in this area and we do it together, we get it done. Yeah, you certainly do. And that's why we've been sticking with you. Stock's all the way back. It's been terrific. Uh, And I got to tell you, I think your guidance is conservative, but you're a conservative guy. So I can't get you to put it on our show. That's Sean Conley, the president and CEO of Conagra Brands. Thank you so much, sir, for being on Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Stock is still very cheap, and they're doing the right thing. Mad Money's back at the break. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one-size-fits-all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. I know it from the action, but over the past three months, there's been a wholesale revolution in the service sector. The big got bigger and the small get snuffed out. Let me be crystal clear. Without help from the government, there's a legion of small businesses that will ultimately wither and die unless we get a vaccine much sooner than expected. Something that wasn't discussed enough in the testimony from Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and Fed Chief Jay Powell on Capitol Hill today. And for the record, I think both are doing a great job, but the situation is totally daunting. First, let's talk restaurants. These are precarious institutions at the best of times, running on very little money in the till, not much cushion. Many restaurants have gotten a boost from the fantastic paycheck protection loans that became grants as long as you don't fire your employees. Unfortunately, that program is about to end and we don't have anything to replace it. What happens then? Well, I think most restaurants will give it a go, at least for a bit. But in the end, it's going to be impossible for them to cover their bills unless it's a labor of love like Bar St. Miguel and the Longshoremen, two places I own and co-own in Brooklyn. It's because I have skin in the game that I know the industry's in trouble. Small operators can't cope with social distancing. But the largest quick-serve chains that are set up for takeout and delivery, they're taking share, taking names, making money, either by Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Postmates. It's, if it's got a drive through it's safe. If it's a sit-down restaurant, honestly, I worry the only sit-down places that can survive are the ones that have enough space to implement social distancing without losing a lot of money. Those are few and far between. Everybody else, danger, don't get me wrong. I am not complaining about social distancing. When we don't obey these rules, we get horrifying outbreaks like we're seeing at the crowded bars of Texas, Arizona, Florida. It's an impossible situation for these smaller operators. you got to follow the rules, but those rules mean you can't make money. The costs stay the same, labor, food, rent, transportation, uh, even though you can only seat half as many people at the tables and even fewer at the bar, which is the real profit generator. Same cost, half the revs. Unless we get another small business uh, rescue package, the future seems pretty unappetizing. We'll have only a fraction of the restaurants and bars that were that existed before the pandemic. Truly sad state of affairs for both consumers and the 13 million people working in the industry. 
That's why I want the federal government to take another crack at this thing. Maybe cover the rent for these smaller restaurants until we get a vaccine. Without major intervention, they're toast. Same goes for a huge chunk of retail. We know that many of these stores are frantically trying to reinvent themselves as omnichannel plays, but only a few of them can make this pivot. Meanwhile, the big box stores that sell groceries, Walmart, Costco, Target, the dollar stores, were deemed essential services and allowed to keep operating. <laughs> essential services. Everybody else is not essential, so see you later. Can the rest of retail actually bounce back? Unless you've got a strong e-commerce business like Williams-Sonoma, I think your options are wither, merge, or die. Maybe this was inevitable anyway. Amazon and the big box stores were already taking over the world. But the rest of retail employs millions of people. Without them, the economy's in big trouble. Third, there's a whole category of businesses that simply can't meet the new restrictions until we get a vaccine. Here's one. Let me give, for example, health clubs. The rules for reopening favor the big change because it costs a fortune to COVID-proof your facilities. We're also likely to lose the whole ecosystem of stores and restaurants built around sporting events. I don't know if any movie theater can actually be able to survive if they can't pack the house in the big openings. Again, there's an entire ecosystem that could disappear. Finally, there's Amazon, one of the biggest winners of the shelter-in-place economy. Unless you needed something immediately, you just ordered from Amazon. Much easier than going to a drugstore. A whole world where everyone's stuck at home is nirvana for these guys. We were already headed in this direction. Pandemic was like years of digitization and Amazonization a matter of months. Put all together and life will not be the same. There won't be the diversity, the liveliness. Anything we're used to, particularly in the cities. And we can lose millions more jobs. That's why the government needs to take action to save these smaller restaurants and retailers. Otherwise, we end up with a dystopian future where every industry is dominated by a handful of big businesses. It's Chipotle all the way down. Daniel, New Jersey. Daniel. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Daniel. Thanks so much for taking my call. Of I wanted course. to thank you and your amazing team for all you guys have done this past few months. It's you really have this out a lot, so thank oh, you. Oh, they've made, they've, they've, you don't even know the half of it. It's been so fabulous. What can, can I do? What can I do? So last week you had um, the CEO of Winnebago on your show, and um, he was talking about how there's a large increase in first-time uh, buyers of recreational vehicles and also renters. And I've also noticed recently, I was in upstate New York, and I'm seeing a lot more RVs out there and also rentals. Um, so my question is, um, not specifically with Winnebago, but um, I was looking at Skyline Champion as if, an alternative because right, factory built housing. Significantly- <laughs> it's funny you mentioned because well, it's in Elkhart, uh, which is where Thor is. Um, you know, I think that you've got this is one of those where I think you got Thor and you got Winnebago, and you really don't need anybody else. And sometimes what I like to do is I don't like to overthink it. We've got two good ones. Pick one of them. Steve Illinois, Steve. Hey, Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yo, yo, man, shaking. Yo, I'm a first-time caller. Uh, my wife, May, and I, we are huge fans. We watch your show every day. Thank you. Uh, my, my question is, if we own uh, these shares of Chewy. The stock's been underperforming lately, and I know it's a stay-at-home stock. So we're kind of confused why that is. Maybe you can help us out with well, that. Well, I mean, I think we're at that period now where people say you got to start making money. And they're still interested in just growing. Uh, now, Wayfair was only interested in just growing and finally just kind of exploded. Uh, Chewy's going to have to do the same. They're going to have to have some sort of huge revenue breakout that's much bigger than they have. Or else they're going to have to start making money. And that may be too difficult for them. But if you look at FedEx tonight, they had that huge revenue breakout and then earnings breakout that allows the stock to go up 18. Chewy needs one or the other. And right now it doesn't happen, although I do like those guys very much. And they can come on anytime they want because I think it's a good company. Right. There's a wholesale revolution in the service sector. The government needs to take action again to save the little guys because it's just overwhelming without a vaccine. 
Much more we have money in, including my exclusive with Crown Castle. How is the company positioning itself as a mobile uh, demand uh, for 5G being brought to the forefront? This is great 5G play, by the way. And the one thing that's all the winners in this market have in common, I'm going to tell you, it's good management. I'm going to sit down with one of the best, former Honeywell CEO and my aunt's neighbor, Dave Cody, who wrote the book on it, literally, and it is just chillingly good. All your calls, rapid fire. Tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. Stay with Kramer. A huge outbreak in the Sun Belt. We need to circle the wagons around the COVID stocks, the ones that keep working when states gradually shut down their economies again. But like I told you, when we reviewed the Kramer COVID-19 index yesterday, many of the stay-at-home stocks have already had epic runs. That's why I keep coming back to the more defensive blue chip names of the index. Take Crown Castle International. It's the real estate investment trust that owns tens of thousands of cell phone towers across the country. They're the only purely domestic cell tower REIT. This is a terrific business because you can keep adding antenna rays to the same tower, and each additional one is almost pure profit. These days, wireless service is a necessity. Carriers are spending a fortune to build out 5G. It's all good for Crown Castle. Even better, the stock's got a bountiful dividend. Currently yields 2.9%, and it's really cheap. Do not take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Jay Brown, the president and CEO of Crown Castle International. To get a better sense of how this company's doing. We're excited. Mr. Brown, welcome to Man Money. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the invitation. Oh, thank you, Jay. I have always felt that you are in... One great business, not a lot of competitors, completely necessary. You have a tower. You can keep adding other uh, antennae right to it. Uh, Is it as good as I think? Uh, It's a great business, one of the best business models I've ever seen. Uh, We and we are so well positioned for where the world is going. You think about what happened over the last century. You had interstates and railroads that drove economic growth across the country. And now here we sit at the start of the 21st century and the deployment of 5G and our assets, towers, fiber, and small cells, really provide the infrastructure that's going to enable that growth to come. All right, so a lot of people tell me you can't own Crown Castle right now because you've got T-Mobile merging with Sprint, and they'll decommission the towers. There won't be any business for Crown Castle. Now, Jim, we're super excited about what we're going to be able to do for T-Mobile. They're, they're on the cusp of building out a 5G network here in the U.S., along with Verizon and AT&T. All three of those carriers have publicly talked about uh, the significant investment that they're going to mean they're going to need in order to make 5G happen, and what that means for our business is, as they invest in their network, uh, they lease ass- our assets from us, and that drives our revenue and then our margins and obviously the returns on the capital that we've invested. Now, uh, David Faber and I often discuss uh, in the morning uh, what's Dish really going to do. They have committed to a big build out, right? And it's worthwhile given the spectrum they have. Yeah, they have committed to a a large nationwide build out, and that's going to be great for both of our assets, both towers uh, and and fiber. And we look look to see big things from them starting in 2021. I think it gives us even an opportunity for additional and enhanced growth across all of our assets as they start to build out their network. Now, Jay, uh, I think when I've been reading about you guys, you'll have a lot of situations where there is room for a third. You have two. There'll be um, two in town. You can just put a third on. And what's the additional cost of adding a third? Uh, the cost for adding additional tenants in our business is very, very low. So we make significant investment up front. And then over time, as we add additional tenants, it requires a little bit of capital. Uh, but most of the capital is actually uh, invested initially. Uh, over the last 10 years, we've invested $30 billion here in the U.S. About half of that has gone into towers and about half has gone into fiber and small cells. 
So we think we've done a good good job of balancing the opportunity to deliver near-term near-term returns to our shareholders, and at the same time set ourselves up for the long-term growth that is to come uh, from 5G. Maintenance of a tower once it's built? Uh, very low, almost none. We don't have to change the carpet or paint it or do hardly anything to it. So maintenance is very low. But you, uh, I know your CFO said you have to cut the grass periodically. Yeah, we, we do. We do try to keep our, our sites tidy and take take care of them. But that, that's uh, relatively low maintenance. Most of the capital uh, goes up uh, goes up initially up front. And this is kind of the benefit of the shared model that we offer to the wireless carriers. We offer them an opportunity to reduce their build out costs by about 50 percent in most cases. So it's much cheaper to use our shared infrastructure than it is for each of them to go build their own. Uh, and the opportunity that's coming here with 5G uh, is more sharing and an ability to deploy uh, 5G across all three of the, the big carriers today and even DISH to come. We, we're providing a, a really cost-effective way for them to build out their network. Now, a lot of companies have been suspending dividends. A lot of the REITs have been uh, cutting their dividends. Uh, I would think that your REIT has a pretty reliable and, and steady uh, 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 source of, of, of distributions. Our, our company has done really well through, throughout COVID. We've continued to grow our revenues and our margins, uh, as I talked about on our first quarter call. Uh, each October, we, we go ahead and give guidance for the next year. Uh, and I would expect in October of this year, we'll be giving our guidance for 2021 and increasing our dividend again. Uh, wow. Our target is to increase our dividend 7 to 8% per year. Uh, and most of that comes from organic growth in the business. Uh, and while we're able to deliver that short-term return to investors, we're also focused on the long-term. So the investments that we're making around small cells and fiber particularly uh, enable us to enhance that growth and then lengthen the runway of that growth over a long period of time. Okay, one last question. I, I've been saying that a lot of companies got to get with the program, that you can't ignore what's going on in this country, uh, that what happened in Minneapolis is uh, maybe the most important change for corporate America. You have committed to giving money to. Uh, why did you do it and how did you pick your charity? Well, part of what I what we did and the way I think about my role is not only stewarding other people's capital. Obviously, you have investors uh, that follow your show every day, invest capital based on recommendations that you make. And uh, I'm a steward of some, some portion of that capital, obviously. But I'm also a steward of the system under which uh, all of that works for everyone. And when you look across our world today and you see some of the inequalities, that's bad for the system. Our system is built on equal opportunity for all. It's like running a race. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody starts when the gun goes off, and uh, we win based on our merits. Uh, and so I, the contribution that we made to the United Negro College Fund was an opportunity to support and to participate in ensuring that there's a level, level playing field. And it's, it's not an us versus them argument in my, my mind. This is about we. And I think uh, the community, our black brothers and sisters across the country, They've done us, uh, given us a great gift. Uh, any feedback we get as leaders is a gift. And the feedback they're giving us is that the opportunities aren't equal for all. So if we're going to win, the opportunities need to be equal for all. And our contribution was a way of, of being part of that solution of ensuring that there's equal opportunities. All for right. All. That's important. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to get all executives to focus on what is a, a terrible thing in our country that can still be changed. And I want to thank you, Jay Brown, President and CEO of Crown Castle, CCI, a stock we like very, very much. And how about the fact that he can offer he can offer actual forecasts out a year and dividends that are predictable. Man, money's back here to the break. Here's a look at what my friend Scott Watner has tonight. 
tonight at 7 p.m. Are fitness centers essential? Meet the Arizona gym owner defying the state to prove his point. Plus, the Delaware bar that went from beach hotspot to testing center. And is the return of pro sports just a pipe dream right now? All tonight at 7 p.m. with Scott Wapner. It is time! Show me the light! I'm going to around one of the cities of my body. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dad, time for the lightning round. Clear around the with Josh in New York. Josh! Booyah, Jimmy Chell. Big fan of your show. I've been watching since, since I was 15, which was 15 years ago. Whew. I want to give a quick shout out to AJL in Miami and Rouge in Toronto. My question today is about Berkshire Hathaway which has underperformed the S&P. It by has, it has, and I feel bad. You know, like Mark Express has been crummy. Coca-Cola just okay. Wells Fargo has been a big disappointment. It is not setting up as being a great time for Berkshire. I don't want to bet against the great one, but that portfolio uh, is not a great portfolio. But he cares a lot about taxes, and uh, therefore he's not going to make a change. Let's go with, and did by Apple, right? Let's go to Ron in New York. Ron! Booyah from Staten Island. All right. Jim, I'm frustrated with this stock, and I need the professor to tell me if I should keep a dump Sirius XM. Look, people are buying cars again, and they're buying used cars again. I think you're fine. Remember, that's the delta on that, so I think you're all right. Let's go to Seth in Massachusetts. Seth. Hey, Jim. Uh, shout out to my buddy, Austin Lazar, on this one. What are your thoughts on Nokia here? Nokia, actually, I met with the team for Action Alerts Plus by... Uh, I said, listen, maybe it's time that we kind of dust it off and look at it again. I think Nokia's got a lot of good things coming. I like your idea. Leanne in Florida. Leanne. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you? Great. Hey, I'm in Beyond Meat at 145. Should I add now, Remember, we don't care where we got in. We care where it's going to. Now, here's what's going on with Beyond. They're cutting price in order to be able to take share. They've got meat on, they've got meat on the ropes here. Now, I know a lot of people feel the service steam is, not, is going to hurt them. That's nonsense. I think you hold on to Beyond Meat. Buy some a couple points lower. Ed in Connecticut. Ed. Jimbo. No. Booyah. No. I'm calling you, I'm calling you about Insego. Yeah, we like these guys. Frequently asked company. I mean, it's a 5G play. Is it as good as Marvell when it comes to 5G? No. Is it as good as Skyward? Marvell up a buck fifty. I mean, what did I tell you? Is it as good as Skyward Solutions? No. But I, it's okay. Let's go to John in Tennessee. John. Hey, booyah, Jim. John. Thanks for having my call. I'm a first time caller, and I got a little bit of a, a conundrum. Okay. I'm going to call on your more than 25 years of accumulated market wisdom. What do you think about Ford since they partnered with Volkswagen and looking to create, design, develop EV uh, cars? I'm a balance sheet guy, John, and they got a bad one. And uh, I'm not interested in in buying a $6 stock if the balance sheet behind it is is $6 worthy, so to speak. So I'm going to have to say no to that one. Let's go to Justin in Massachusetts. Justin. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Thanks for having me on. Huge fan of the show. Thank you. My question for you is, what are your outlooks on Vaxart stock, considering its oral vaccine for COVID-19 was recently selected by Operation Warp Speed? Yeah, you know, I mean, look, this thing is a, is a Robin Hood favorite. 93 million shares traded and put it there and, you know, look. How about this? This is a huge long shot. And I know a lot of people are saying, you know what, it's going to double. 
Now, here's what I want to tell you. The stock's at eight. They could run this thing to 16, just don't hope. All right? So I don't want anyone to say I kept you out of it. I do want you to know that it is a long shot. Long shots sometimes come in. I used to be a big uh, ponies guy. But long shots don't usually come in. But I understand people want to buy it today at 8. Now flip it to somebody else tomorrow at 10. Flip it to the next guy at 12. That's not my style. I want to be in the best possible. And uh, that's not the best possible. Let's go to Wendy in Missouri. Wendy. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? I am good. How about you, Wendy? I'm doing great. Just running in between raindrops. Uh, I want to get an idea. I've only been uh, investing for a few months, and I'd like to get your opinion on Anheuser-Busch. I don't think it's good. It's down 40%. It's not what I want. I'd rather see you in Pepsi. They get diversified. You also get the snacks besides the drinks. Uh, it's a better stock. Uh, Constellation Port Smarts. Let's see what's going to happen there. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Which companies have been able to thrive in this challenging environment? There's one thing the winners have in common. Great management. But what does that even look like? How are you supposed to judge? What's the yardstick for execution? This is a situation where you need to learn from the best, and it doesn't get much better than Dave Cody, the former chairman and CEO of Honeywell, who led the company for 16 years, taking its market cap from $20 billion to $120 billion, easily, I think, the best industrial CEO of the year. Cody published a book today. It's called Winning Now, Winning Later, How Companies Can Win in the Short Term While Investing in the Long Term. And I am grateful that this is his first stop on the tour. It's great timing. Exactly the kind of message people need to hear during this crisis. So let's take a closer look with Dave Cody, the Hall of Fame former CEO of Honeywell. Dave, congratulations. <laughs> Welcome back to Man Money. <laughs> Jimmy, it is always fun to be with you. I, got, I love your uh, energy and your support for me and Honeywell, it's been uh, awesome. Well, it's certainly deserving, man. You just you, you hit it out of the park. So explain to people who don't understand, there, there is a notion that you got to make the quarter. And, and that means you can't make the year or two year or five year. Or you think big, but then you miss the quarter. And people think that they're mutually exclusive. They're not. You are absolutely right. I've maintained that they are mutually reinforcing, not uh, mutually exclusive. Uh, too often, uh, making the quarter and the need to make the quarter is an excuse for not doing what you need to for the long term. It's one of the reasons that the first chapter in the book is entitled Banishing Intellectual Laziness, because it requires a different mindset. And the way I've described it is that success in business is always about achieving two seemingly conflicting things at the same time. Do you want low inventory or good product delivery? Do you want high margins and prices or do you want big volumes? Do you want people closest to the action empowered so you get quick decisions or do you want good controls so nothing bad happens? Do you want good short-term results or do you want good long-term results? The answer is always you want both. both. So the trick to success is figuring out how to achieve both. And we use Honeywell as an example of how we've managed to achieve that while I was there and how my successor continues to do it. Well, Dave, one of the things that I find uh, in the book is it's not an overarching theme that you point out, but to, to do what you were asking requires incredible hours. 
It requires far more work than most CEOs do. But it also involves things like X days where you literally have to give time to yourself or surprise other divisions. Uh, How are you able to? I mean, most people shouldn't be CEOs, should they, Dave? Well, um, I guess I can't opine on the say uh, who they all are because I don't know them all. I know some that are very good and I know some that. Well, uh, there's a standard distribution to everything, let's say. (laughs) But at the end of the day, uh, it does require an intensity and an intensity about your understanding your businesses, driving the hell out of your processes, making sure you have absolutely the best people. Uh, It took us an incredible amount of time in the beginning. Uh, It was 70, 80 hours a week for at least the first five years I was there. And you probably noticed I never did anything outside of Honeywell during those first five years. Spent five to six hundred hours a year on the plane traveling. That's like 23 hours, 23 days a year, 24 hours uh, a day. But at the same time, uh, set aside those X days that you talked about. And too often, I think leaders become victims of their calendar and stuff just gets on there. And as a result of that, you don't allocate time to focus and to think about the things you want to and need to. And uh, Donald Rumsfeld, uh, love him or hate him, had this line that I thought was just tremendous that said, beware of letting the urgent get in the way of the important. And by setting aside X days, you set aside that time to think, to just spend time kind of considering, letting your mind wander, thinking about various things about the company, people, businesses, geographies, whatever it is, megatrend, whatever it is you want to focus on. But it also allows you to do stuff like make a surprise visit to a plant, which I would do. And no one, including my executive assistant, sometimes knew that I was going to a plant. Then you get to see everything just the way it actually is in operation. No fresh paint, no prepared speeches. You just talk to people and find out. So, Dave, uh, you mentioned that. Uh, what you want to do is you want to have a successor in the book. You want to do that. But you also talk about the need to be rigorous and the need to ditch the losers. Dave, we had Darius on yesterday. I always liked the global distribution business that was Residio. I liked the transportation business that was Garrett. Were they losers or are they just things that don't fit into his view of a soft, more software related Honeywell? No, it was uh, actually Darius and I had a terrific conversation uh, when he became the COO. And we were talking about the value of the company. And I said, look, we've been able to go from 20 to 120. The chances of going to from 120 to 600 during a similar time frame to generate the same kind of returns, very difficult to do. And it has nothing to do with uh, Darius's capability, because, as you know, I think the world of the guy, I think he's doing a fantastic job. Uh, job and I'm very supportive, but you run into the law of large numbers because things just get too big to really be able to generate those kinds of returns. So he embarked on a portfolio analysis to say, okay, as I look at the future, where do I really want to be and where do I want to concentrate? And the stuff that uh, we uh, spun off, which I was fully in favor of, it's not that they were bad businesses. They were very good businesses, both of them. But at the end of the day, in terms of where he wanted to take the company in order to generate the same kinds of returns, it didn't fit. So I was completely supportive of what he was doing, still am. 
Well, I got to tell you, Dave, the, the book is great. I, you're very funny, too. You're not, Maureen, or your wife knows. The, the book is, it's, it's a tough look at business. But if you want to know how to be a business person, this is the book to read. Dave Cody, author of Winning Now, Winning Later. Do you want to be a good business person? Get this. But do you have the time and the rigor? If you don't, don't be a CEO. Stephen Kramer. A new CNBC documentary takes a deep look at how COVID-19 rocked the nation's food supply chain and how all its players, from farmers and manufacturers to wholesalers and grocers, scrambled to help it recover. Don't miss the premiere of Supermarket Shock, Crisis in America's Food Supply, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on CNBC. FedEx for the great quarter. Some of it looks like it's one time off, which is just trying to get a lot of PPE out of China. But some of it is just great cost control. And yes, I hope they are back because they are really, really good guys. And United Parcel pulled right along with it, too. Remember, that's Carol Tomei. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. No opinion. Just the facts. I've been a journalist for more than 30 years, and there has never been a time when we needed the truth more. The facts, the truth, the news with Shepard Smith, premieres September 30th, CNBC.